And a very good afternoon to you listeners and welcome to This Week in Moab. I am your host for the next hour. My name is Howard Trenholm. And this afternoon we're going to really um, focus on a little panel discussion and in, in the sense that I'll have three guests joining me this afternoon. Not in the studio, of course, not yet, but certainly by our new Zoom medium, which is absolutely fantastic and helpful to bring, you know, a safe way to bring interviews to you, the listener. And joining will be Curtis Wells, who is involved with the governor's office. He'll explain more about his position once we have him on air. And then two local officials, Gabe Wojcik from the County Commission. And he is currently being very busy with um, many ordinances going on, but there was a workshop at the County Commission this afternoon. We might get a quick update from that from him too. And then to round out the group, Kaylin Jones from Moab City Council will also join. The focus is really to talk about the whole regional um, aspect of development and other uh, and planning. And we're going to delve into various subjects, um, not including, we'll see how far we get, but we're going to talk, um, start with COVID, talk about housing and land, resources, water, electricity, renewable goals, taxation. And we'll see if we can get to other things um, that I know are very pertinent, but there's a lot going on, and I just want to let the, the panel do a lot of the discuss- talking. Gentlemen, welcome to KZMU of sorts, the Zoom version of This Week in Moab and interviews. I've got Kaylin Jones, Gabe Wotek, and if you don't mind, Curtis um, Wells, can you just start the introductions and spe- um, go through who you are? And Thank you, KZMU and Howard, for having us on. My name's Curtis Wells, you know, probably for the, you know, policy discussion. Uh, my title uh, is I'm an advisor to the governor's rural senior advisor um, and recently served on the transition team uh, on the rural policy committee, uh, drafted the rural policy plan that was converted into the one Utah plan and included things like TRT reform, uh, marketing reform, and uh, reforms and restructuring to the governor's office of economic development, which we just finished uh, the legislative session and, and had some legislation um, passed that that brings about those changes and reforms. So um, how's that, Howard? That sounds good. Um, and we'll move right into Let's do Kalen next. Kalen, go ahead. Just quick. People know who you are, but just say hello. <laughs> hey, everyone. Kalen Jones, Moab City Council. I'm in my second year of my second term. Good to be here with you all. Thanks, Kalen. And then Gabe Wotek from Moab um, Grand County Commission. Pardon me. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, KZMU. And thanks also to Kalen and Curtis. Um, uh, my name is Gabriel Wojtek, and I'm uh, currently serving as the vice chair of the Grand County Commission. Um, and this is my second year um, on that uh, commission. Just uh, before we get rolling in the group discussion, do you want to give any quick updates from the little workshop that you just exited, Gabe? Oh, yeah. Well, I just, uh, just, uh, we just had a, the county commission had a little sit down with all of the uh, county, the UTV guide and outfitting businesses that operate in the county. There are five or six of them, depending on who's counting. Um, and we just had a really, uh, you know, I would say a hearty sort of round table uh, that, you know, was mostly focused on commissioners uh, actively listening um, to, uh, you know, how these businesses felt um, um, about uh, uh, potential proposed actions um, that are on the docket for uh, a meeting, uh, a special meeting on uh, Thursday at 8.30 a.m., um, uh, as we are looking to tackle head-on uh, issues of noise um, uh, to make our community a, a better place um, to live and a place that um, you know all all user experiences can be you know be be harmonious. That's um, thanks for that update. Obviously, it's a, an example too of how the interactions of various different different government agencies can have impact on small rural communities, in, unintended or otherwise. Um, Again, thanks for that. And let's just start rolling in. I mean, this has been quite a remarkable year, 12 months, shall we say. And just really to keep us updated, let's like, talk about COVID-19 and kind of the exit plan. We'll start with the state and, you know, what's working there and how that kind of contrasts a little bit with what's happening locally and just where we expect to see that, how the, the rest of this year rolling out. Well, Howard, I, re- I really wouldn't want to speak um, on behalf of the state or the governor's office, you know, for for uh, specifically, 
But what I would, what I would offer is I think that, um, having maintaining that flexibility in the exit strategy, you know, uh, for local control, um, you know, has, has really been important. And so entrusting the city and the County, um, you know, to, to, uh, evolve and adjust, you know, as needed. And as we learn, you know, in the, um, you know, really the, the second and third quarter of 2020, um, the impacts to different rural communities specifically were, you know, were very different. Um, and also, you know, our trends are different now. So the visitation trends are totally, uh, uh, you know, changed. And, um, you know, we had a record fall tourism um, and a record winter for tourism. And so um, I think we're all kind of, uh, still adapting as the environment's changing. I would offer that. Okay, let's kind of hone in a little bit and move to the county, Gabe, and you know the efforts. Obviously, there's a lot of collaboration between all the agencies here on various things, and maybe talk to vaccines and various things, and when the mask mandate's going to be lifted in Grand County, which is a big question. It's causing some issues, I would say, a little bit. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I would say that, I guess, in ter- I guess I would... Uh, you know, say that I'm really proud of uh, of every, all of the residents and all of the businesses of Grand County. You know, so you know, soldiering through this really hard time, and and more or less from you know the way I see it, uh, really, really, you know, really taking responsibility and really figuring out a way to make things work. As you can, as as everyone knows, we had sort of record visitation numbers uh, through the fall, and um, uh, it, it, it seemed it, we, we haven't let um, you know these basic safety protocols that we've put in place in order to protect one another. We haven't let the we haven't you know we haven't let that get us down and um, you know keep the business going that we need to get going to, to you know in order to for our community to 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 be happy and healthy. Um, you know we're we are uh, currently you know the, you know as of now uh, our the mask mandate for the county uh, will run until June fifteenth. Um, I can't remember if it's 12th or the 15th. I'm really sorry if that's, um, it's one of those two numbers. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, I I don't think that there's any intention at right now to, to preemptively lift that order though. I, you know, I'm, I I can only speak for myself as a commissioner uh, in that, you know, this is such a constantly moving situation in terms of uh, what is going on with the, with the, with the virus um, and how, you know, and how, you know, potentially a lot of the folks that work in our uh, in our service industry, you know, have potential exposures and things of that nature. And it's about keeping those folks um, feeling safe and healthy and confident um, to go out there and, and, and help our boat business owners keep the businesses running. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think that that piece that Curtis introduced about local control is important. And and I think we're going to do everything we can to keep things safe. And and I really want to give a heads up to everyone who's uh who's complied and 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 that and i think that that is everyone okay thanks okay anything you want to add to that kaylin i mean obviously the, the economic reports actually you know it was pretty grim about six months ago but now it's it's looking a little rosier yes it is and i'm appreciative of the county and the local health department for their leadership on this um i'm glad that they have continued the mask mandate for the time being although i'm sure um we're eager to move beyond uh, the era of COVID. Um, we're not out of it yet. And so as we're seeing in other parts of the country, vigilance is still important um, as we, as we uh, continue to um, increase vaccinations, but also see the uh, virus evolve. Um, so I know that the city council has discussed returning to in-person meetings as soon as um, we're confident in the safety and um, of, of everyone involved. It's not a majority decision. I don't think so much as a consensus one. Um, and then it'll be interesting to see how government operations and meetings evolve. Um, I know some committees are talking about that this uh, remote meetings work pretty well and it's actually more efficient. Um, but um, in the meantime, I'm, it's 
heartening to see how resilient Moab was um, during the latter part of last year. Um, when the lockdown first happened in the spring, it was um, pretty scary for the economy as well as health issues. Um, so I was really glad to, to see how well we could provide for people's um, recreational and mental health needs. Indeed. And do so, do so safely. Okay. Thanks for that. And I just want to commend uh, everybody, I mean, the state for getting the vaccines out to rural areas. I mean, you're involved in that, Curtis, a little bit. And also it's grand being in grand because it's my understanding that we are the most vaccinated county in the state per capita. That's, you know, being grand. We like being grand at these things. So congratulations to all the leaders for making that happen. And it's um, phenomenal. I go in for my second shot in a couple of days even. So it's, um, it's things are rolling along. It's interesting, COVID kind of, um, you know, really usurped um, everything function, you know, that was happening in government because there was an imminent pandemic on the case. But the issues that, on, you know, that were there prior to COVID have not gone anywhere. And these definitely involve all entities, including state, local, and you know, county and city government. And with that said, I mean, just the reports we're hearing on water, um, you know, this, the actual real-life numbers about what the soil pack is in LaSalle Mountain at 14% this year and other things. I just want to get a perspective, you know, from all three of you and representing each of your entities about what are we doing to address this um, really critical component for living in this valley. So um, who wants to, we'll start at the smallest, um, the smaller of the antis. We'll start with Kaelin. How about you at the city? Sure. So um, we have um, staff and our water conservation board are working on um, water conservation measures. We really don't have much in the city at this point, which is kind of surprising that we live in a desert. And so there's definitely some low hanging fruit that we can start with, such as um, time of day, watering where you um, if you're if you're sprinkling overhead you don't water during the heat of the day it's basic but still you, we see your irrigators doing that and so um, it's an easy thing for people easy behavior for people to change that doesn't really cost anything and can um, help us save water and then we're also um, monitoring the conversations between all the um, uh, stakeholders regarding how much water we actually have. It seems like we're zeroing in on some numbers, but there's still quite a variation in the in the, what the studies say. Um, and I think the there may be a leaning on the council to um, take a conservative approach, um, not assume a best case scenario. Um, but it's tricky with so many different uh, parties at the table. Um, how we how we manage that situation and the and the pre pressures for growth as well as uh, to live within our limits and when those limits aren't entirely known so it's an ongoing conversation okay now expanding that um, issue to the county level obviously you've got more people to give water to than just the city um, there's castle valley and thompson springs and such but um just you know issues regarding that too and what we, what you're planning yeah, and I just wanted to thank Kaylin and the city for really taking the lead on on sort of, you know, really, you know, looking at some of these common sense, really what we're looking at is common sense conservation measures that, you know, you know, residents can be taking on an everyday basis. And, you know, I have, I have a, you know, I, as a county commissioner, I think that we, you know, those are, um, those are sort of the type the exactly the type of measures that I would support moving forward, because I think really what we're all trying to avoid is a crisis, right? No one wants a crisis. Uh, and uh, with regards to water and, and so, you know, working on, you know, as Kaylin alluded to is we're, we're still really trying to hone in on, on where we're at and establishing what is that, what is that legal, as the state defines it, the legally established safe yield out of our aquifer and, and, um, you know, through this year, we're going to see the groundwater management plan that's um, sort of led by the engineer of the Southeast Utah uh, Division of Water Rights. That's Mark Stilson. And I think there's every intention of, of having some public meetings later this year and, and, and sort of getting people together in person and really sort of, you know, trying to do real outreach on the on the issue and just really focus on the education aspect of it really educating the public before any drastic measures or decisions are made. Um, certainly, um, I think what the important thing is gonna be 
to do is to to make sure we're all in, we're all we're, we're educating um, all the residents about why we're doing why we might do what we're doing. Um, but I, you know, I I as well uh, would support um, careful action, um, responsible you know the responsible types of growth that's married with responsible uh, resource management. Um, so that we can move forward and grow as a community uh, and with while avoiding crisis. Okay, thanks. I'm going to ask you, Chris. I realize you're not I'm Mark Steelson from the state, so I'm not going to hone you in on you know really complicated water questions. But really, from a state, from your rural perspective, I mean, obviously, you look at our county and from a state level, there's a big river just coming through our county, which is kind of a unique feature to Grand that the Colorado River goes. And I guess that's where the state would get more involved too. If you know, we saw our aquifer being, you know deplanish that we had to start considering that you know scenario of having to get colorado river water which again would open up a whole set of other issues for you know how you know economic development which is a big part of the discussion here how can you do that if your water resources are very limited so anything you want to add curtis to the conversation just locally here you know really not much i mean i what what i can say is is you know both from my time um, on the council and the commission and, you know, my perspective as a, um, uh, local, uh, a local and, a, uh, I'm a resident of the city. I live in the County, um, uh, also. And, um, I think where we've been for a long time is just accumulating data and information. And it still feels like we're in that process and maybe we're getting closer to you know to understanding um you know where that safe yield is and i and so i think um you know continuing to under uh fine tuning the data and accumulating data um and and uh getting rid of, of as much speculation as possible and then simultaneously just being smart and having you know uh, good conservation policies and um, being smart with the water that we're using now. And, and so, um, you know, I think both the commissioner and the, and the council member, um, you know, touched on both of those. And I, I, I'm, I'm just like anyone else, just, um, you know, anxiously waiting to see how this develops and, and, and what that means. But I think, you know, uh, commissioner Whitech touched on this. We're trying to avoid a crisis. Um, it is not, uh, good policy or good practice to strain our uh, water supply um, just for the sake of economic growth or, you know, or any kind of growth. And so, um, you know, understanding, uh, you know, where that line is, how close we are to that line, um, you know, will we'll understandably uh, impact how we can grow, where, can, where we can grow. Um, and so, you know, I look forward to um, uh, reviewing information as we move forward. I just want to, I mean, obviously, I don't have the federal um, officials here this evening, but obviously we're heading into a pretty serious, you know, emergency drought situation. I'm just wondering if there's any sort of federal assistance that might help, you know, at least, you know, you're talking of conservation. I guess I know that, for example, the golf course has a very aging infrastructure system for its watering needs and that maybe some federal emergency number, since that's a big draw off the supply, that maybe that's a, where some federal funds could help to you know, modernize that system and reduce the draw, which is massive. Just ideas, I don't know, you guys are the, you know, the, in these offices, but it might be something worth approaching as, we, as this drought gets worse, is what I'm saying, because it seems that it's not getting better right now. Okay. You know, if, if I might, real quick, yeah. just kind of touch on the Colorado River piece. Sure. Um, you know, so we saw the state, legislature kind of takes steps towards this, um, you know, commission, uh, regarding the Lake Powell pipeline. And you can see how political that is because the Colorado river, you know, is already a very strained, uh, system. And so, I mean, I think it's fair to say that, you know, any attempt to kind of pull more water from that system, it gets pretty tricky because you're dealing with um, multiple Western states, you know, that, that have a stake in that. And so I don't think that, uh, you know, just in my opinion, 
you know, I don't see that as a, as a solution um, because you're just, um, you know, you're just, you're just creating more strain on the system. Um, but there's also, you know, the, the debates that, that took place. And, and I think the, the um, mindset of the legislature was they're looking at it as a, um, from a Utah perspective and making sure that, that Utah um, is uh, seeing good on the entitlements made to the state of Utah. And, and so um, it's kind of one of those tough ones where, you know, from 50,000 feet pulling more water from the system, um, you know, is, is a difficult thing to see. And so it's, it's kind of a, um, it's obviously not a long-term solution um, and my, just in my opinion, um, but you're dealing with, um, uh, it's not obviously a Utah issue. It's a, yeah, it's a it's Colorado a issue. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a Western region issue. Um, 40 million you know, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, okay. Well, we'll kind of move on. Obviously that the water issue is not going to disappear and we do live in a kind of an arid place, but as far as development goes, and let's kind of jump into another area. I think all three entities are fully aware of and, it kind of ties into things. It's really workforce. You know, we're, I think this county, Grand County, is one of the most highly evolved um, tourist destinations, perhaps um, anywhere right now for its size. I mean, it's certainly a lot of accommodations. And with that, it's created this, you know, very large demand for a service economy of workers, whether we like the industry or not. I mean, we are what we are, and that industry, you know, deserves to be supplied with the workforce it needs. And then it comes on to the, the big boon of dog, which is housing and land because it's not just there's so many factors in play here and water so i just want to you know entertain the idea of how you as entities are working together to really aggressively address this issue because i really feel it's 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 detrimental if, you know potentially to what we are trying to do here in this town so we'll, let's let, let you lead off this time gabe since the other two have led off in the past yeah thanks um what's really interesting about the issue of housing is that uh, and, and just the, this sort of dilemma that we that we find ourselves in is that and in, in, you know and I've been meeting in different groups on different boards and and also there's a the U University of Utah has this uh, uh, gateway and amenity uh, uh, community sort of uh, project and, and efforts to sort of recognize and get in and round up these different communities is that there's no playbook for really how to man, how to how to overcome these challenges. Um, there have been a lot of things tried in different places. Um, you know, I, I think a Vail came and did a presentation a couple of years ago about um, about their uh, their deed restriction buy, uh, buying program. Um, you know, that's that's one route that one community has taken. Um, uh, you know, I think. There's no doubt that we uh, we need more housing units, um, and I think that you know aggressive is a is a is a good way to uh, so there, and there needs to be urgency associated with it. Um, with that said, we need to you know as a legislator, I'm a, I always want to balance um, the need to do something immediately and urgently um, with also a you know a well thought out plan um, that's going to pr uh, produce the results that we actually want and not unintended consequences that um, that are uh, potentially undesirable. Um, so, you know, with that said, I think that we have we have some we have some ac um, action plans, especially associated with our sort of economic diversification piece, which we you know, we might go at in more uh, depth in this conversation, maybe or maybe not. But I think one thing to point out is, you know, we, we do have we do have a group together right now that in the economic diversification um, advisory council that is really is really uh, zooming in on our 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 zoning and our our all of our land use codes and figuring out where we can identify uh, you know sort of potential spots for nodal development so that we can incentivize the type of private development of you know of of housing units um, that that are less disturbing to to um, folks in the community who, you know, don't want that type of development in their backyard. Um, and I, I see that as, I, I think, you know, this process is just starting right now of, of sort of coming through and really seeing where, uh, where we can find um, holes that are, that might be limiting the type of uh, 
the development that we want to see that would lead to uh, that would lead to more housing units. Um, and I think one thing that we're doing to also speaking to, you know, the impacts of, of bringing more housing, which we obviously desperate, desperately need is lately the county has been coming up against a lot of folks um, south in the valley. Uh, you know, there's a lot of resi uh, resistance and, and I think building resentment uh, towards the county for allowing uh, higher density type uh, type developments um, and, and just ju just uh, just more people out in those rural residential lands. And so I think this is also, you know, we're, we, uh, the planning commission is undergoing a survey now, the residents out there in the valley. And I think what I spoke to before about kind of um, identifying those nodes, uh, I think especially near south in the valley, uh, maybe potentially closer to 191, uh, where we, you know, where we might be able to fit more people in and, and, and get those housing units available. Okay. I mean, you're kind of landlocked pretty much, um, so that's a problem. Um, let's, let's take the statement. Is any assistance, I mean, the state... I know Sitwa has land and the state also has, you know, sovereign lands. And I've, I, I asked this question just to be clear with everybody that I was at John Curtis's town hall meeting. And I, I merely suggested that in our state, call it the Spanish Valley Enterprise Zone, if you want to come up with a name, which incorporates two counties in the city, right? There's a lot of holdings of federal lands out there. And I suggested in a town hall that the federal government could assist us by offering us those lands of, you know, that sit on the valley floor, at least. To, you know, to communities that are in dire need of housing as an affordable land option. So it's out there. So that's a federal thing. That's obviously none of you can answer this. But I mean, I think it's something we could at least have a discussion about in this valley. But from the state, is there any help the state can do at the state level with this? I realize it's a crisis all over, not least in rural areas, Curtis, but your, your focus is kind of down in these areas. What help can the state, you know, help the city and county here help with these issues? Well, you know, I like the way you kind of, you know, introduce the question because the affordable housing, um, like slide deck presentation that we used to give probably like, uh, back in 2018, 2019, when we were working on the high density housing, um, ordinance was going back to a breakdown of the fundamental problem, um, and the, the fundamental problem being a supply-demand imbalance, right? We have a very limited supply of developable private land, and we have uh, high demand. And, I mean, we also, uh, you know, different um, residential and commercial applications have seen, like, a greater focus, uh, you know, in recent years. We kind of had that surge of... Um, nightly accommodations uh, development. And, and I think we kind of, in my opinion, people kind of got wrapped up in, well, that's the problem. But what we're really seeing right now, you know, just putting my uh, real estate hat on is we just have a very strong and an ever-growing demand for uh, people that want to own property and buy homes in, in this part of the world. And it's gotten... Um, even stronger since COVID-19. So the post-COVID-19 landscape for Moab is we already had kind of that steady, you know, um, demand from, uh, you know, consumers both in Moab and outside of Moab. But now we have this trend of, of um, you know, remote professionals and families that, that uh, either want to own property in Moab as a place to kind of escape to when they're not working or people that have been given the green light uh, to work remotely and Moab's, a, you know, a good place. And so um, we saw, you know, our, our, our the local uh, housing prices, you know, have shown a really steady, you know, rate of appreciation you know, since we basically opened back up for business May 1st. And so, I mean, from a from a very logical level, you know, more supply does help. But uh, we don't really have, you know, ready available uh, land to really offset that at this point. And so, you know, I would I want to answer your question, you know, as far as as far as state efforts. But the the number one thing that I um drove home to the governor's rural partnership board before I wound up on the transition team was, um, 
and, and Gabriel, Commissioner Witek has suggested this. I mean, the local zoning ordinances really is the most important thing in this equation, whether that's in, you know, increasing density um, or, or what have you, because that's, that's really the, the lowest hanging fruit you know, that we have access to to help address the problem. And I think what we're kind of figuring out, in my opinion, is, is how far can you regulate that with deed restricting and whatnot um, without, uh, you know, applying too much red tape for investment that can just go to St. George, you know, and develop condos or whatever. And so, you know, I, I think we're figuring that out. I mean, the, the, the county high density housing authority wasn't something that just sailed through unanimous vote. I mean, it failed once because we all had disagreements. I think there was three or four of us that had differing disagreements. Some folks was density, some folks was density in certain areas. And it, it was kind of one of those sausage, you know, processes. But I think one of the things that we did learn is, is that, it, you know, increasing density as an incentive absolutely attracts, you know, interest from the market. Now, how do we, how do we uh, land that, you know, those planes so that we achieve the policy, you know, goals of, of having, um, you know, workforce housing or affordable housing. And so I think I understand there's still kind of some debates and discussion and processes to determine how to regulate, you know, the legislative intent of the high, high density housing authority. But I think everyone just from like a, you know, a, a an education and an information gathering exercise should really be watching that because I think that's, that's the best thing that we have going in terms of a policy that's actually getting things moving. Like the land trust project is great, you know, but somebody had to step up to the plate and take a big hit there. And, and that's great that they were willing to do that, but we can't really count on that to close that gap yeah. every time. And so the high density housing authority is, is absolutely a tool that was created and we're, you know, we're seeing how well it, you know, it drives nails right now. So those are really important things. Um, and I think that, um, you know, we really need to, um, <clears throat> the, the friction and political friction of the, you know, the knot in my backyard is a real problem um, in Moab, in my opinion. I mean, it's popped up in a lot of different areas, both when I was on the county council and commission and as a citizen, it's just one of those dynamics that's in, you know, every community. And I think that's kind of where the rubber meets the road is making sure that, you know, that we're um, analyzing those circumstances and that, you know, as the commissioner and councilman here will tell you, I mean, every circumstance has different fundamentals, you know, involved and they're not all the same. You know, I think that um, back to your question, Howard, you know, the, the one of the one of the um, things I've been putting a lot of thought into lately is kind of this issue of the Sitla development south of town in San Juan County. And, you know, from like a water conservation standpoint, you know, it's understandable that a lot of people are going to be very concerned about that. Um, from a, you know, a, a, a housing standpoint, that's really um, you know, a, a game changer in terms of if we don't have enough land and you're, and you're, you're able to create, you know, thousands of acres of new land that can be developed into potentially high density housing. I mean, you know, that is going to lower prices and, 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 you know, that's chicken soup for the problem. I don't think we have the kind of demand for, you know, residential product that, you know, we're just the absorption rate is going to be, you know, immediate over thousands of acres development and the prices will keep, you know, continue to go up for that kind of product until the end of time. But um, that is something that that the law economics, you know, says will help. Um, the, the challenge that we have is the city of Moab or Grand County is when developers, you know, um, I development in Moab. Uh, affordable housing is not always, you know, the best return. And that's how capital works is it finds its best return and that's where it goes. And so like when we're having discussions with San Juan County and we have discussions with Sitla, 
you know, you, you run into two things. San Juan County will say, man, we want a piece of that TRT. <laughs> we want a piece of, uh, you know, of those, of those, those, you know, flashy, you know, tourism driven revenues because, you know, we want more of that. They're mm-hmm. not thinking, you know, uh, necessarily affordable housing development. Sure. And so you, we, you know, you have to negotiate those things out. Sitla, the same thing. Okay. Anytime you deal with Sitla and, and, with all due respect to Sitla, they have a business card they pull out of their pocket and they yeah. say, we have a fiduciary responsibility to, to bring the best return for the school children. Yeah, and so I think Sitla had a development proposal or just a presentation to the commission a little while back where they're talking about custom homes by Willow Springs or something like that with, with garages for boats. That doesn't sound like affordable <laughs> housing and without water. It boats like <laughs> seems housing. a little odd. <laughs> but my but point okay, being yeah. is that is that you know it creates value. De- development is identifying money making opportunities, and and yeah. so to Gabriel's Commissioner Whitech's point earlier, we we've got to we've got to make higher density affordable housing lucrative and i think that's where the solutions will be for the community curtis i'm going to actually turn over to kale a little bit because honestly of all the agencies i mean they took the biggest risk i have to say as an agency you plunged into the affordable housing market as a government which you know you're when you know gabe you mentioned the playbook there isn't one so guess what we have to create one so i mean there's going to be some opportunities but i'd like to say to the city at least you know, you regressively, and I'm talking about Walnut Lane, obviously, so that's one area. Just want to see if there's anything you want to add beyond the Walnut Lane, which is a solution for me, you know, because that could have gone to the private sector and all those people would have been left with no homes, you know, and there could have been overnight rentals there and there's nothing you really could have done about it until the city, you know, took that very brave action and stepped in. So, Kaylin, anything you want to add to the discussion that both Curtis and Gabe have contributed sure. to? So the city is acting as an affordable housing developer, but we're not alone in this valley. Uh, The housing authority, as well as community rebuilds have been doing this work for years. And so in some ways, the city is the new kid on the block, even though we're starting with a pretty big project. Um, And so, and Arroyo Crossing, even though the land was donated to the land trust, um, they're still going to rely on um, those developers, as well as possibly others, to get the homes built and fully deliver that project. So it's really, it's really a team effort. I feel like, and um, as Curtis was talking about, um, the we live in one market effectively, and so um, we we don't act in isolation. And an increase in supply can impact pricing throughout the valley. Um, as far as your original question, how we're working together, there is a um, interagency committee, the um, uh, Moab Area Housing Task Force, um, which is largely the um, the development agencies as well as local governments. At times, there's been more involvement by the business community and development community. Um, members come and go. Right now, it's kind of contracted a little. But that's the group that really tries to track the trends. Um, They were key in the um, housing plan and keeping that updated, which is really a great resource. It's available as both a PDF and as a website. Um, And it has recently been looking at um, short-term goals. To go back to something that um, Gabe mentioned, USU has this initiative called the Gateway and Natural Amenity Region Initiative, um, and they host meetings for um, communities to basically share information about what they're doing. And like you said, there's no there's no real playbook because any desirable town in this country at this point um, mm-hmm. is struggling with these issues to yep. greater or lesser extent. And certainly, um, mountain town resort community. Um, amenity communities, um, it, it can be extreme. Um, Moab is certainly an example of that. Okay. Um, but there are some interesting models. One that has struck me is um, BAMF uses what they call bed units, where they look at the total housing supply across both lodging, uh, second homes, residences, um, And then they look at what ratio can sustain both the economy and the the, um, residents. 
what ratio of resident housing and visitor housing. Um, and then try to keep those in balance as a way, as like a high level um, management tool. Okay. So um, I just was exposed to that for the first time this spring. And it looks like an interesting model for us to explore because we are, whether we're talking about water or housing um, or land, um, yes, there's development potential, but there are, but there are limits. And so how do we keep things in balance as we grow and monitor um, so that we don't develop a situation where we, where the affordable housing situation is worse, or we are overdrawing our aquifer. Um, okay. I think that's the challenge that's going to be facing us for many years, years. <laughs> until we can restore the balance, I guess. Let me move on a little bit because, I mean, we're running out of time too, and I, we could have gone for another hour on this because I'm only halfway through my list. But let's, um, you know, Gabe, and this is a big proponent is economic diversification. And I really want to commend our region again on this initiative, because really where this started from is the state of Utah's renewable energy bill. And you may or may not know this, but both of the municipalities in our community, both Castle Valley and City of Moab, are longtime supporters of a blue initiative or, you know, being involved with renewables and different ways of energy production. But Grand County also signed up for the renewable energy bill. So I realize there's so much attention focused on the... <laughs> I don't know what acreage of land in Grand County, that is the Spanish Valley Enterprise Zone that actually sits in Grand. But there's a whole lot of county that sits north of us. And with the renewable energy component, do you see that perhaps that type of diversification is maybe outside the box thinking that maybe this area could get back into the energy business again? And, you know, we have a lot of land that seems very suitable for solar production, you know, I don't know how many acres. I'm just wondering, and the state's a big player in this because you're, the state was mentioned as a player because it might be easier to do these kind of bigger projects on state lands as opposed to federal lands to start with. So I just want to put that to you as a, what's working in your particular necks of the woods as far as that actual real live aligned map with all the state, city, and county government all in agreement on this. Who wants to start? Let's start with the state. Do you know much about this bill, Curtis? And you're, are you referring to it? Uh, the renewable uh, energy bill, the yeah, state the bill. Federal bill. No, not the federal state bill. Though. Um, I mean, I'm sure actually Kalen is probably the person I'll start with because he was the one that informed House, me. House bill. Yeah, it's House Bill 411. It's the Community Renewable Energy Act. It is is all Representative Albrecht? Is he a sponsor of that bill? Kalen, can you maybe? Because I know you were the one that actually put my light bulb off in this whole energy bill. I don't remember who the sponsors were. It was passed a couple of years ago um, and it created a framework for communities that wanted to have 100% renewable electricity to work with Rocky Mountain Power to, for them to provi provide that um, and provided sort of a high level structure to negotiate um, the rates and how to opt in, how to let our, all the customers within a community know about it and have the opportunity to opt out. Um, and so that process is moving forward. The communities have been meeting and developing their own internal uh, governance structure um, because they need to negotiate with the utility commission and Rocky Mountain Power as an entity and both the county and the city are in the process of um, taking the next step to um, commit to our participation for their participation in that process and the economic commitment to that. Um, the fortunately that is being apportioned by population or customer base. Yeah. And since there's Salt Lake City and Ogden are players, um, our commitment is relatively low. But the fact that they um, are those cities are participating as a sign of how big this will be um, when it comes to fruition. Um, to your point about the development potential, the possibility for um, actually having those new renewable generation capacity in Grand County, that's an interesting one. Um, we were on a call with Rocky Mountain Power um, last December, as I recall, um, when we were discussing the potential and it seemed like they were mainly talking about barriers. Um, <laughs> yeah. And 
I haven't heard anything since then, um, but I like the idea. Um, in a, further conversations, I've asked about the potential to negotiate better terms for rooftop solar, uh, for net metering locally as part of um, an eventual HB 411 delivery product. And um, <laughs> I got mixed messages on the likelihood of that. Here, here's something, um, Kale. I just want—I want to pitch this to you guys because I know we're running out of time, and I've pitched this beyond the county too. But we all are familiar with the mineral lease taxes, especially at the county level for um, energy products developed on public lands, right? Um, Gabe, are you familiar? I'm sure Curtis is, and that's been a very, from time to time, depending on the value of whatever the commodity is you happen to be mining, whatever that demand for that product is, and what the price is on the marketplace, ultimately determines a, a good source of income for counties. I mean, if you want an example of on Max, go to Duchesne County and see how much mineral lease money they have. If you think about that with renewable energy, there isn't really a, a similar type tax for that type of energy, direct energy production. So my suggestion to both the state, county, and city would be to lobby hard the federal government saying, if we create this energy on your public lands as an economic activity, could there be a royalty tax from that production that would be payable to, say, county, city governments that would offset some of your budget concerns and, and diversify your economy at the same time. Just throwing that out there, it's a seed, and I think there might be something to be had there. And with especially with unified state, local governments, you know, applying a little pressure to our partners at the federal level. Thoughts? Well, what, just real briefly, I mean, I don't know how close you guys picked through the, the Biden infrastructure plan. Um, but if, you know, if, if you, if you look through there, you know, a lot of this and a lot of the political debate is, is what, you know, qualifies as infrastructure, but really, I mean, um, these commodities that are in high demand and securing the supply chain of these commodities for electric vehicles, you know, to build solar panels, um, chips, battery recycling plants, like there, you know, there's a there's a, a you know, huge demand for, um, you know, identifying areas where we need to retrain workers, you know, from coal and oil and coal and oil and gas, and and you're starting to see, you know, drilling companies and and excavation companies that have been servicing oil and gas now they're following drill rigs around that are drilling for lithium, and so there, I mean, there's just a there's a ton of opportunity you know, that, that, that has a lot of overlap with Southeastern Utah. That's not necessarily, you know, just solar or energy production, but supplying the market with these commodities needed for this, you know, kind of electric revolution. And, and I think, um, you know, I, in the, in the governor's one Utah plan, I mean, we made um, rural EV charging infrastructure, you know, a big component of that plan. And I advocated for that even to the, there was some headbutting with, you know, some of my counterparts from the basin, you know, because they see that as kind of a direct threat to their livelihoods. But, um, you know, I, I would expect Grand County, you know, to be a great place, you know, uh, to, to attract opportunities, you know, for economic development in those sectors. But I think that it, we've, we've also had lithium exploration active in, in Grand County you know, for two years now, it's just kind of quiet and, and, and people are just looking around. So I, I would, I would anticipate a lot of change, you know, in, in those areas and, and figuring out a way for us to engage in those and, and uh, improve matters in our communities. Okay. Um, it's from city and county. Last comments. We're kind of, we are going to run short time and you'll, you'll notice um, all elect, all officials there that I, didn't deliberately do this, but we did bypass the bypass discussion. So no pun intended, okay? So you've been spared. This time around, that's not going away. We're going to bring it back, but not this afternoon, okay? Or noise, apart from your intro, because there's enough going on there. So just, again, addressing that, I mean, I, I really like what um, Curtis is saying. There is obviously a, a ton of lithium under the ground here if we want to get into extractive. What I'm suggesting is actually developing a, a utility-sized solar farm in Grand County somehow and figuring out how to make a little energy tax off it, perhaps that doesn't exist right now, something new that would incentivize this type of economic diversification, especially when you have a lot of sunshine. 
it's a great commodity to have. So just throwing it out there, being from a solar-powered radio station. Well, one of the challenges, that I, as I recall, is the transmission capacity um, through here. Maybe. And so perhaps um, that would be something that the Biden infrastructure plan could address. And perhaps if um, they, the federal government were paying for um, an increase in the transmission capacity that would create opportunities for um, negotiations about how the how the benefits were distributed. I just but see a microgrid. I'm just spitballing here. Okay, sure. I mean, there's a lot to do. Okay, any last comments there? I just I just would love to see, you know, I mean, we've got a history of energy in this time. We created uranium, for goodness sakes, as a community not so long ago. To be able to create vast amounts of solar energy and somehow get it to market, it seems like that's everybody through COVID is saying, well, what, you know, we need to diversify. No offense, but everybody used electricity through COVID. So if we have a means of producing it within the county, that seems like, and it's also solar doesn't require a lot of water for its production, which is another, you know, thing that ties in just thing to chew on through your supper this evening, gents, and beyond. Yeah, if, if I could say, Howard, real quick, you know, one of the, in the commission's last discussion surrounding HB 411, um, that Community Renewable Energy Act, one thing that I was actually delighted to learn was not only is it about communities having the opportunity um, to um, get their energy all from renewable resources, but it did sound like there was a component of that sort of movement and that group of participating communities uh, to be able to leverage that action and that influence and that sort of um, consensus uh, to be able to um, then parlay that into development of utility scale solar. Um, so it did sound like that was, you know, potentially going, going to be a result uh, down the road, okay. um, uh, you know, and I, and I, I think I, you know, I agree with you. Uh, there's a lot of, there's, there's some land and there's some sun that could be potentially available. Um, and I will, you, you said we avoided noise, but I will bring it back to noise, um, you know, and how in, and also industry, industry that is, um, associated with, um, you know, uh, you, know, you got uh, one minute. Sorry, technology. Gabe. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, is that, you know, we, we do, uh, coming off of this discussion with UTV guides and outfitters, there is a real opportunity to be le to make Moab a leader of EV um, off-road vehicles, and, I, and, and we can go fast and hard on it and really be, uh, really be known for that, and so that can totally be an accessory to this whole conversation. Moab loves to be first at things, I have to tell you, having lived here just for 24 years, and we don't pat ourselves on the back, and I just want to thank you guys as I wind up. I mean, it's not an easy job being an elected official in this town. One of the consequences of a highly participative elective crowd is that they're constantly engaging you, which means your time is taken up. But that's the beauty of democracy, and it's great to see an engaged community. It's great to see alignment between state, county, and, and um, state, county, and cities. And I hope we can pull on our federal partners too, because I feel that alignment amongst all the different government agencies is our road to success, however we decide to choose it. So thanks for taking time out your busy days to be with the audience this afternoon. Have a great evening. Thank you. Thank all you right. for having us. All right. Thank, Thank you, guys. A pleasure. Great having these public officials taking the time to spend time with you and me and the listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, Radiothon starts this Friday, so get your pocketbooks out.